Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to The World in 10, where we bring you the best of the Times stories from around the world, straight from the correspondents who wrote them. I'm Stuart Willey. And I'm Eleanor Shearwood. Today, we've got some great insight into the global impact of the coup in Niger and some adverts that have been, um, let's say, not so great. But let's start with the latest from Ukraine. If you've never heard of sea drones, they're small unmanned boats loaded with explosives and they're proving to be a key tool in Ukraine's pushback against Russia. There have been a dozen attacks reported on Russian ports, ships and even the bridge connecting Crimea to Russia. Last night, Ukraine confirmed that it was responsible for the attack, damaging that crucial bridge, mocking Russian claims their infrastructure is well protected. Today, another sea drone attack on a Russian port. The Ukrainians say they hit a warship in the port of Novorossiysk. You can see dramatic video on the Times Apple website that seems to show the attack. Moscow, though, denies there's been damage or casualties. But the attack did stop traffic at this busy Black Sea port. And that matters because the Russian exports that fund the war leave from there. So that's around 2% of the world's oil. Financial markets are watching the price of it. It's gone up 15% in a month. Away from heavy weapons and global markets, another group of Ukrainians have been sowing chaos in Russia. George Grills, the Times defence correspondent in Kyiv, has been telling me all about the cyber warriors. The IT Army of Ukraine is a volunteer organisation of hackers. There's about 10,000 of them. So before the war, Ukraine had a thriving IT sector. And at the outbreak of the war, they, they wanted to be useful to Ukraine's uh, military effort to basically try and disrupt uh, Russian companies, Russian infrastructure, as what they saw as the best way that they could sort of try and um, help the Ukrainian effort. It's a struggle for them to target military infrastructure because it's pretty well protected, but they can target things that are crucial for the logistics of the Russian army. They targeted the sort of online ticketing service used by the Russian National Railways, took that down. They sort of interrupted the payment system used for toll booths on the Russian motorway. The idea being that the Russian military would struggle to sort of resupply uh, if it wasn't able to use the roads and the railway networks. But they're also, there's a, there's a degree of, of fun that they take to their hacking approach you know there's there's a bit of humor so there was one example that involved them targeting the licensing system used in supermarkets in russia for meat and dairy products the result of that was that basically from some supermarkets in russia you know it, it was a struggle to resupply milk and milk started disappearing for a couple of days from the shelves are they going to change the course of this war i don't think the these these volunteer organizations are kidding themselves that Vladimir Putin is going to order his troops out because some people can't buy milk in the shops. But it's it's cumulative, isn't it? It's psychological. It's trying to um, make the war a problem for ordinary Russians as in, in the same way that it is for ordinary Ukrainians.
Last night, Donald Trump was in court for his third criminal arraignment in four months, raising his hand and swearing to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And despite his fall from the Oval Office to facing criminal conspiracy charges, he remains positive. The Times' correspondent Will Pavia was at the courthouse watching. He told us Trump seemed somehow different this time around. He sort of looked, I must say this time, rather comfortable in the courtroom. In the past, uh, certainly his first arraignment in New York, he had a sort of slightly stunned look about him. But this time he, he was almost seemed to have gotten used to the idea. And he, he walked in and looked around, sort of said hello to no one in particular, and then uh, stepped up and sort of stood for a moment in front of the table where he was going to be sitting and, and waited for one of his lawyers to pull back his chair. And then he sat down and started chatting away with one of his lawyers, sort of whispering. But someone who was notably absent from court was Melania Trump. She hasn't attended any of the hearings and some people are wondering, where is the former first lady? Well, not in the courthouse, not on the campaign trail. Apparently, with a small group of friends. To find out why that might be, you can read the full piece on thetimes.co.uk now. We've covered the developments in Niger a lot on the podcast this week. There have been threats of war, mass evacuations. The impact has spread far wider than the country's borders. The Times has been covering tensions outside the country today in France. Yeah, so the head of France's foreign intelligence agency, the equivalent to, say, MI6 or the CIA, is in trouble. President Macron is angry because Bernard Emier failed to predict the coup was going to happen. Macron says this isn't the first time this has happened. He apparently didn't foresee one in Mali two years ago or foresee Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year. Well, it's turned into a bit of a spat because MEA says he actually warned about it earlier this year and was ignored. His job is still on the line, though. Niger is important to France. It's a former colony and now a key ally in fighting Islamist terrorism in the Sahel region. Yeah, France really needs to be a united front, especially when the junta, who've overthrown the government, said this today. Face à l'attitude désinvolte et à la réaction de la France relativement à la situation interne. So that's Amadou Abdraman. He's a spokesman for Niger's military. Essentially, they're denouncing security and defence agreements with France because he says France has been too casual in how it's reacted to the coup. We asked Adam Sage, the Times' man in Paris, whether France is really seeing it that way. Casual is not the word to describe the French response to the coup. They're very, very worried, really. And we also asked him why Niger is so important. It has now become the main base in the Sahel for French troops to fight uh, Islamist terror. There are 1,500 of them there. It has been a, a very important partner with French and Nigerian armed forces and secret services taking part in, in operations together. Now, there is a fear that that will break down. The other a source of concern and threat to France is that the Niger's uranium mines have traditionally been fundamental in keeping France's nuclear reactors going. Uh, and French nuclear reactors provide about 70% of the country's electricity. They need Niger's uranium to keep the lights on.
The brewer behind Bud Lights announced its sales have dropped more than 10%. Now, this comes after the company formed a partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender influencer. You might have seen this video a few months ago. This month, I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood, and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. Republicans were pretty upset about it, and lots of them ended up boycotting the brand entirely, which clearly wasn't quite what Bud Light had hoped for. Now, it's led the Times social affairs editor James Beale to investigate which other brands have launched campaigns which haven't quite had the desired effect. (laughs) It feels like yesterday, but it was actually back in 2017 when Pepsi worked with Kendall Jenner on an ad, they said, to promote global unity, as well as their drink, of course. So what's happening here is Kendall Jenner's joining a face-off between protesters and police, handing the police officer a Pepsi, which he drinks and sets the whole crowd off cheering. And that set critics off in an opposite direction. They said the ad capitalised on the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, even Martin Luther King's daughter joined in. She tweeted, if only daddy would have known about the power of Pepsi. Obviously, the ad was pulled pretty quickly. He mentions Burger King, who put out an advert on International Women's Day with the headline, Women Belong in the Kitchen. They said that was to promote female chefs. Yeah, and James also mentions a Walker's selfie campaign called hashtag Walker's Wave, which was hijacked by people sending in selfies of criminals. Now, James also looked at this McDonald's ad of a young boy trying to find out what he had in common with his dad who'd passed away. Did he have blue eyes like me? No, brown. Thanks, well. Turned out it was a burger. What was your dad's favourite, too? Tartar sauce. Well down his chin. Campaigners say this one exploited the grief of children. So why do big brands keep making mistakes like this? James has been speaking with advertising and PR experts. He says the danger comes when companies are too quick to join bandwagons. And as social media moves ever faster, it's not always easy to predict what will cause offence. But advertising companies that focus on selling product rather than looking good will, in the end, be successful. Before we go, we've just got time to point you in the direction of a fantastic write-up all about cricketer Stuart Broad. It's called From Babyface Show Pony to Fearless Ashes Warrior. You can read the full piece at thetimes.co.uk. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on today's podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, though. See you then.